Second uh, Timothy chapter one and verse twelve. Second Timothy chapter one and verse twelve. I want to uh, take a moment just to review, and sometimes uh, if I just go ahead and get that review out of the way, I can move on and focus. There's there's certain things that I feel like we need to emphasize uh, more than once. Amen. Um, rarely do we hear what we need to hear the first time we hear something. And so I am without uh, shame, without embarrassment, uh, repetitive, and I believe it's uh, strategically important. But let's look at the verse first. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, he says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. We're talking about learning to trust God, learning to trust God, and, of course, the importance of learning to trust him. And more recently, we've covered a few things. One of the first things that we've been looking at is the fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing. The fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing. Bold confidence comes from proven trust. Bold confidence comes from proving trust. The stronger our trust in God, the greater our boldness. Weak trust, weak trust in God, amen, will always uh, lead, there should be an S there, will always lead to weak prayers, reluctant giving, timid confessions, and fearful living. Now, let's, let's shift over into um, another set. For some reason, Christy is not wanting to respond up here. Praise God. Uh, placing your trust in, there we go. I don't know if you did that. Did you do that or did I do that? Thank you, sister. Placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. Remember, Jesus didn't just sit his disciples down and talk to them. Um, he certainly did explain. He did a lot of teaching. He was a preacher. A lot of people don't realize this about Jesus. Jesus was a preacher. Amen. He preached and he taught. But we also see that he wanted to lead people into an experience. He wanted them to experience things because um, the, the experiences will, um, praise God, amen. Let me get back over to where I need to be here. All right. The, um, the experiences will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. Far too much of what we know about God is only theory. That's a problem. Far too much of what we know about God is only theory. Trusting in God moves the promises of God from theories in your head to proven foundations in your heart. Proven foundations in your heart. Now, back to the passage, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Notice some key words here. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. That word know there means to know as if I can see. So he's literally saying, and I tried to just break this down in a way, and and I uh, all capped a few of the key words that I feel like the Holy Spirit's wanting us to, to really focus on this morning. He says, I know as if I can see whom I have believed, and I am fully convinced that he is able to keep what I have committed and entrusted to him. That word uh, committed it, it, it carries with it the idea of entrusting into someone's care. So we're talking about learning to trust God. We don't necessarily find the word trust in this verse except for what it means to commit something to God. And this means to make a deposit of trust, to trust Him uh, with something or some area uh, in your life. Now, we have a tendency to talk more about 
what we believe. I notice I hope I didn't overemphasize, overenunciate that, okay? We have a tendency to talk more about what we believe, amen? People tell you what they believe about salvation, what they believe about the Holy Spirit, what they believe about righteousness, what they believe about tithing, what they believe. I'm not saying what you believe isn't important, but Paul didn't say this is, uh, you know, I know what I've believed. He said, I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. Maybe we should stop talking so much about what we believe and instead talk about in whom we have believed. Because trust is ultimately rooted in a person. Think about this for a moment now. Trust is ultimately rooted in a person and their character. How can you trust what someone says if you do not trust that person? How can you trust what someone says if you do not trust that person? You see, we do not trust a person because of their words. We trust the words because of the person. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? You see, Father is, God is a person. He's not a man, but he is a person. He is a being, the person of God. He, he is a, a living being. Amen. And our trust is ultimately in his person. We trust what he says because of who he is. God is more than principles. God is more than, than spiritual laws. God is more than gravity. Does that make sense? In other words, gravity is a law, certainly. Uh, sowing and reaping is a law. But, but there is a person behind um, sowing and reaping. Whatever you plant, you're going to harvest. Whatever you sow, you're going to receive. Paul didn't say, I know what I believe. I'm not saying he didn't know what he believed. Certainly Paul knew what he believed. But for him, it was more than, than a what, it was a who. Trust is ultimately rooted in a person and their character. We determine trustworthiness based upon a person's intentions, ability, and reliability. So what do we mean by trustworthiness based upon a person's intentions? Does this person have my best interest in mind? Proverbs is very clear. It, it is very foolish for you to put your trust in someone who is more interested in what's in it for them than what's in it for you. Who can find a faithful man, the Bible says. A faithful man is, is someone who is interested in what's in your best interest, a trustworthy. That word faithful uh, means trustworthy. So we determine trustworthiness, in other words, we, whether or not we can trust a person based upon the intentions that this person has for us, does this person have my best interest in mind, the ability, does this person have the necessary knowledge and skills to carry out whatever it is I'm trusting in their care. Someone can have your best, in, best intentions in mind, your best interest in mind, but not have the ability to do whatever it is that you need them to do for you, Okay. But then also there's this third factor, and this is reliability. Is this someone that can be depended upon? Not everyone who has ability has reliability. There are a lot of people who are able, but they're not reliable. They're not reliable. In other words, they can do it, but, but for whatever reason, they, they're, they're not committed. They're not, they're not faithful. And so trustworthiness is a factor, uh, is determined by you know, these three things. And I think the most important one is intention. Now, when Paul says, I know in whom I have believed, notice he's saying that he was fully convinced of God's intentions for him. He was fully convinced that God only wanted good for him and nothing besides good for him. 
Therefore, he could trust what God says to him because anything God says to him is coming from the God, the person of God, who only wants what's best for him and only wants what's best for you and me. What are God's motives? What are God's intentions for you? Amen. When God asks you to give, when God uh, you know, talks about tithing and, and these kinds of things in, in our lives, is, is He trying to hurt you? Is He trying to teach you how to live on less? Is, is He trying to take something from you? Or is He always trying to get more to you? God is not a God of decrease. God is a God of increase. So anything that, this is, notice now, this has to do with the person of God. It has to do with the nature of God. It has to do with the characteristics of God. In other words, who is God? We know that God is love, amen? But again, God is a God of increase. Everything He has ever said to you, everything He has ever said about you, He has said those things. He has commanded you to do these things, not because he's trying to withhold something from you, not because he's trying to keep something good from you, not because he's trying to take away from you. He's trying to increase you. He's a God of increase. And so Paul recognized that the motives and intentions of God were this upward call. We're talking about Jesus is calling this morning. Guess where he's calling you to? He's calling you to a higher place. His call on your life is an upward call. He's wanting to call you to a level of life and living that you can't get to by yourself. That there's not enough money, there's not enough sacrifice, there's not enough time, amen, for that matter, uh, for you to invest to ever get to these things by yourself. But trusting in God will get you there. So God's intentions, God's ability, and then God's reliability. Now go with me to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 3. Proverbs 16 and 3. Amen. In the time that we have remaining this morning, I want to, I want to talk to you some more about commitment. Okay? And, um, and last week, I, I, uh, amen, I didn't swing for the fence when we talk, started talking about this last week. I, I was a bit hesitant. I was a bit reluctant. And, and, uh, and I apologize to you for that. I apologize to, to Father for that already. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not here to... Uh, to hurt you, to, to, to offend you, uh, to make you feel guilty or ashamed. None, none of that's my job. Jesus bled to death naked on a cross to set you free from guilt, shame, uh, condemnation, uh, fear. And so I'm not here to try to scare you or make you feel guilty or try to shame you into doing right or try to c- condemn you enough so you'll straighten up. But none, of those, none of those things are in my toolbox. Amen. It's the goodness of God that causes us to want to change. It's, it's the grace of God in our lives and an understanding and the realization of His great love uh, for us that motivates us to want to, to, to do better and to, and to be better and, 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 and all of this. And so um, I'm standing by what I said last week. I just didn't say it boldly enough and confidently enough. And I've repented to God for that, and I repent now uh, before you because this, this thing called commitment uh, it, 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 is, uh, it is extremely important. Uh, it, it's, it's life or death, really. Um, you know, we, we often and have spent a lot of time in our series here of late talking about the importance of trusting in God, but you will never trust God without commitment to Him. See, that's one of the things, and I, I'm going to unravel some of this as we work our way through, but, but one, of the, one of the weird and awkward positions that so many of God's people find themselves in is they're trying to figure out how to trust God and to do what God's called them to do without committing themselves. Trying to figure out how to fulfill our purpose and destiny in Christ and how to serve God and how to, how to, how to, to, to be that person that one day God will say, well done, good and faithful uh, servant, amen, 
without really committing ourselves entirely to what it is that God has for us. And, uh, and it's a rough spot to try to live your life in. And I want to help you this morning uh, move beyond that place if that's a place that you've been trapped in. So Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 3, it says, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. And then Psalm 37 and 5. Christy will put it up on the screen for you. Um, Psalm 37 and 5, we see the word commit again. This time he says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Now, we've looked at three different verses that have the word commit in them. 2 Timothy, now Psalm 37 and Proverbs 16. Although we've swapped native language in the Old Testament, obviously we have Hebrew, New Testament, we have Greek we see the word commit still carries with it the same meaning. And it's this idea of to entrust. It carries with it um, this uh, practical way that we um, express our trust, place our trust into another person, into even a thing, uh, or ultimately um, to, uh, to God. So from... These two verses, the one in Proverbs, the one in uh, Psalm 37 and Proverbs 16, we see, again, trying to break it down for you, very, very simple this morning, commit your works and ways to the Lord, right? Commit and trust to God your works and commit or entrust to God your ways. Commit your works and ways to the Lord. Commit your works and ways to the Lord. One more time, commit your works and ways to the Lord. So what does it mean to commit your works and ways to the Lord? It means to trust God with what you do and to trust God with the way you do it. Works simply means your actions, what you do. Related to these verses, we're not going to open up all those this morning, but where he says, trust in the Lord and what? Do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. So he's talking about a practical way to to trust God. And what does it mean to commit your works and ways to the Lord? It means to entrust God with what you do and the way you do it. Trusting God enough, trusting God enough to do what God says... I'm getting way, way ahead of myself. But remember, remember when Jesus said, these people serve me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And so he says, on the heels of that, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. What's the problem with this? Well, the problem with this is there's a lot of people who, who talk about the love that they have for God, but just because you love God doesn't mean you trust him. And, and there, are, there are a lot of people who think because they have warm, fond, affectionate feelings for God in their heart that somehow this translates into some deep trust in Him. You can love another human being but not trust them any further than you can throw them. Right? I mean, think about that. Doesn't mean you don't love that person. Doesn't mean that you don't enjoy spending time with that person. Doesn't mean that, 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 that you don't, you know, have you know, warm, fond, affectionate feelings for them, but um, they're not getting the keys to your car anytime soon. Are you seeing this, right? 
Remember when Peter, he, he publicly denied the Lord three times? And so it was, it was a, a public um, uh, failure. And so when Jesus restored him, he, it was a public restoration. In other words, he could have pulled Peter aside and restored him privately. But Jesus wasn't trying to embarrass him. All the guys that were there that morning when Jesus restored him, they knew what Peter had done. And so Jesus wasn't trying to embarrass him. He, he was wanting everyone to know that as far as Jesus was concerned, he was restored. And so when Jesus asked him, he says, do, Peter, do you love me? Jesus said, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me as an act of your will? Are you willing to submit and surrender your will to my will for you? But when Peter answered him, he says, Lord, you know that I philo you. See, philo and agape both translated into our English word love, but the word philo is different from agape. Philo is, is what we often think of when we think of love. It's like we have warm, fond, affectionate feelings for another person. Agape is when you love another person as an act of your will and, and in spite of, you know, even negative feelings. You, you could, like, have negative feelings towards a person and still love that person as an act of your will, not because you have warm, fuzzy feelings for them in your heart. So he says, do you agape me, Peter? And, and Peter's like, man, it's more than that, Jesus. I feel you. I, 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 I got warm, fond, affectionate feelings for you in my heart. Jesus says, what? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He asked him again, do you agape me? You know I feel you. You know all things. You know how much you mean to me. You know how much I love you. You know how much I care about you. You know how much. It wasn't what Jesus was asking him. He had warm, fond, affectionate feelings for Jesus in his heart when he was cursing the night, three nights before that he even knew who he was. He was asking him if he agaped him, if you're willing to surrender your will to my will for your life. Are you willing to listen to me and do what I have for you to do and do it the way I have for you to do it? So let's go back. I, I think this is going to help us with this because... We know that the love God has for us is, it, it's not like, um, what's the word that I'm looking for here? It's not like, I love you if you love me. We know that he loves us unconditionally. But when he says, they draw near to me with their lips, with their hearts are far from me. And then he says to those who are closest to him, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let me help you with this. If you really love me, trust me enough to do what I command you to do. If, if you really love me, then you know because we love him because he loved us. We know that I, you know then that I love you. And anything that I ask you to do that may not make sense to you in the moment, that may not, <coughs> excuse me, remember this, make sense, seems right, feel safe. It may not make sense, it may not seem right, it may not feel safe. Do it because you love me and you love me enough to trust me that I only want good for you, my intentions for you. Thank you for that amen. Praise God. So committing your works and ways to the Lord, this is trusting God enough to do what God says, but also to do what God says the way God says. See, there, there are a lot of, lot of folks in the body of Christ today, they're wanting to do what God says, but they're wanting to do it their way. 
if you're going to do what God says, you're going to do it God's way, you're going to have to make a commitment. So we try to figure out some way to do what God says, but we're going to do it our own way because we don't want to commit ourselves entirely to it. So we kind of play around with it. Come on now, I know I'm not the only one. We just, we kind of play around with it. We kind of do it when it's convenient, and, and, but then when it's not convenient, you know, uh, we tell ourselves, well, you know, I got, I got other things going right now, but I'll get back to that at some point uh, in the future and, and so forth and so on. We, we haven't made the full commitment. So he, he's not just saying commit what you do to the Lord, but then do it however, you know, you figure out and want to do it. No, no. Commit your works to the Lord. Commit your ways to the Lord. He's saying to trust God enough to do what God says and to do it the way God says. So here's the question we asked last week. Why do so many people want to trust God but so few actually do? I think it comes back to this commitment. I think it comes back to this, this idea of the, the, that we can't really trust God unless we commit ourselves to Him. Some of the things we said about this last week was that commitment is the missing link to trusting God. We also said that commitment pulls the trigger, so to speak, of trust. How many things have we um, contemplated doing and how many things we've you know, contemplated trusting God in this area, doing this, being more faithful here and these kinds of things, but we've never really pulled the trigger, so to speak. We've never really made the commitment Here's a, here's a really, really important question that, that all of us, I think, need to take uh, very seriously, okay? What areas of your life have you fully committed to doing God's way? What areas of your life have you fully committed to doing God's way? Here's the hint. It's all the ones you no longer do your way. Reluctance to commit means a reluctance to trust. You see, these words, they're, they're so related. I mean, trust is in the definition of commit. This is how related and connected um, you know, these words are. You can also reverse this. A reluctance to trust is a reluctance to commit. A reluctance to commit is a reluctance, means a reluctance to trust. You know, we want to commit, but we're not sure we can trust. We want, to, we want to trust, but we can't trust unless we commit. These two things are linked together. You cannot trust God without trusting yourself to Him and to His ways. I'm sorry, you cannot trust God without committing yourself to Him and to His ways of doing things. Now, we've looked at what it means to trust another person in an effort to better understand what it means to trust God because there are all kinds of similarities. We asked the question a few weeks ago, have you ever wondered if you could trust someone? And the only way you'll ever know if you can is if you do. And so a lot of folks wondering if they can trust God in this area of their life or with you know, these sorts of things. You'll never know unless you actually trust Him. So, if you're going to trust someone to take care of something for you, there will come a day when you must commit it to them. You must commit it to them. Until you commit it to them, you haven't really trusted them to take care of it for you. So do you see why we're saying commitment is what pulls that trigger of trust? How many of God's people are trying to live the life He created them to live without fully committing themselves? I believe a lot of folks 
a lot of folks. And this is, this is how the devil is able to steal from people the benefits and the results and, and, and the peace and the joy uh, that, that comes is because they, they're trying to get one foot in, in, in the ways of God, in the kingdom of God, and keep one foot in the world and in the ways of this world. How many people are trying to serve God and do what he's called and gifted them to do without committing themselves? Amen. Can I talk to you for a minute? Just just me and you because I love you? Okay. We're going to stand before God one day and you will be rewarded based upon what you did for him. Your righteousness is not determined by what you do. Your right standing with God is determined by what Jesus did for you. Your righteousness is not determined by your works, but your rewards are. I would be in dereliction of my duty if I did not tell you that and prepare you for that one day. I don't want any of you coming to me one day on that day, you know, hunting me down on the other side. Pastor Mark, I sat in that church for 17 years and you never told me I'd be rewarded based upon my, my acts of service and what I did for God. So listen to me. I'm telling you. I've been telling you for years. I'm telling you again. Now, there's a lot of folks who say, well, you know, that I, it don't matter to me, Pastor Mark, as long as I get in. As long as I don't go to hell really is, is, is good enough for me. See, so you say that now, but you have no idea what the rewards are are like and what they're going to be one day in heaven. Father rewards people with things like cities. I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know what that means. Is that what Jesus taught us in the parable? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Here are ten cities. Now, you know, we grew up like a lot of you with things like on our front door, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Anybody? Cross-stitched. Home interiors. Anybody remember home interiors, decor, home decor? Amen. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. You know what most people call serving the Lord in the 21st century church? Church attendance. Church attendance, that's, that's the lion's share of what most people call serving the Lord. Listen to me, I love you, just trying to help you, okay? Coming to church is something you do for yourself. <laughs> You're here to learn and grow and be blessed and benefit. This is, coming to church is not serving God. Serving God involves actually doing something for Him. Right? Serving God is more than likely going to involve some inconvenience. And more than anything else, let me tell you what serving God's going to call for. Somebody say it real loud for me. Commitment. It's, it's going to require some commitment. You've heard me, some of you heard me say this, you know, many times. My mother, after Sunday morning service, tears streaming down her face. 
she said, do you understand now why when we did go on vacation and landed on a Sunday, we were, we were going to be in church somewhere? She goes, because we made that commitment as a family. Now, thank God we've grown and we've learned a whole lot more than we knew back in those days, but that was, that was the life that we had in those days. And that was the commitment that we had made in those days. You see, there are a lot of gifted people who want to do something for God, who want to be involved in the, in the work of the ministry in the local church, but you know, that means we'd have to be there every Sunday. Right? And I like to go to the lake in the summer, and you know, then there's football in the winter, and so because what does a commitment do? A commitment limits our freedoms. It, 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 it restricts our options. It, it restricts our freedoms, limits our options. Are you, are you following me? Amen. I said I was going to say this bold. Now, I feel myself getting wishy-washy again. I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm, t- I'm not fussing at you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. I, the Lord was bringing me back to some major milestones in my life over the years. When I had an option. He, listen, options. The Lord ain't going to make you do anything. Do we have to tithe? No, you don't have to tithe. You don't have to pray. You don't ever have to walk into another church as long as you live the rest of your life. God ain't making you do nothing. It's not, it's not, it's not about making you. It's about trusting Him. It's about recognizing that what He says in His Word is the best thing for me and anything He's ever asked me to do, anything He's ever commanded me to do is because He only wants good for me. He's not trying to get anything from me that's going to be good. He's trying to get good to me and He's trying to keep me from being deceived into thinking something is good that turns out and blows up in my face later down the road. So if He asks me to do it and my flesh says, well, you know, that's going to inconvenience me. My flesh says, well, that's going to mean having to learn to live with less money. That tells me that, see, again, that's the, that's the devil. That's, your, that's what makes sense to, to you. That's what seems right to you. That's what feels safe to you. Do you really, come on now, do you really think God has declared 10% of your increase as his and if you spend it on yourself, you're robbing, it, you're robbing him? Do you really think he set that whole system up just so he can see if you're willing to live with less money. It's not what the Bible says. But he can't, he can't trust you with more of something that you don't trust him with. If you can't trust him with what belongs to somebody else, and the tithe clearly belongs to him, if you can't trust him with what belongs, if you can't be trusted with what belongs to another man, how can you ever be given What's really yours? How can you ever? So all of this is not God's way of trying to take from you. It's God's way of trying to get things to you. And notice, at the heart of it all, you'll find commitment and trust. You've got to trust God. Paying tithes requires trusting God. But again, you've got to commit yourself to it. You can't. Sweet Jesus. All right, let me get back to where I'm supposed to be. How many of God's people are trying to serve God and do what he's called and gifted them to do without committing themselves. I mentioned a moment ago, the Lord took me back this week over to some, some critical milestones 
in, in my own life personally, even some critical milestones in the life of our family. I've, you've, you've heard this story before. I won't go into all the details of it, but, you know, we were the poster child for a very prominent southern denomination. Let's just say it that way. Uh, our family, I mean, we were there. Everything that was involved in my mom and dad sang duets in the in the Christmas and Easter cantatas. I mean, they were in the, you follow what I'm saying? We, just, we were all in. My dad was the deacon. I mean, we just... That that was the that was the life that we lived, but but there came a day when when my mom and dad they knew there had to be something more than what what we were experiencing, and and the Lord visited my mother and told her that there absolutely is more, and you need to get your family to a church that believes in preaches and teaches about the baptism and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now. Nobody made us do that. Nobody made my parents do that. I was, what, 11 years old. I'm not proud of this. I cried like a baby. I begged them, please don't take me out of my church. I had friends there. I, had, I was, you know, connected there. I mean, I had won the Bible for bringing the most people to revival. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I was, I was, I was an up-and-comer. You understand? I mean, you're fixing to uproot my whole world. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what in the world is all this about here, you know? I didn't know it until years later, but my mom and dad told me they almost didn't do it because of me. Thank God they didn't. Thank God for parents who don't let their children make those kinds of decisions that they're not mature enough and qualified enough to make. I say that because I can't tell you how many folks over the years, well, you know, we love it here at Heritage, but our children, they want to they go here and there and this and that. And, you know, they have Bozo the Clown twice a year down there, so we're going to go do, you know. Whatever, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just, you know, and they let their kids make the decision. They're not committed. They're committed to whatever makes their kids happy. Thank God my mom and dad weren't committed to whatever made me happy. But we had an option on that. But we trusted the Lord. And I trusted my parents. When it didn't make sense to me, I, not that I had an option, but I just say I trusted them, praise God. And it worked out pretty good. Amen. Less than a year, I was speaking in tongues. Amen. Amen. Less than two, Matthew was. Meredith, mom and dad. Amen. Amen. So again, we, we had a choice, but again, when, when the Lord leads you, are you are you are you all in? Are you are you <clears throat> how many people are trying to serve God and do what He's called them, gifted them to do without committing themselves? See, I, I tried um, this church started June of nineteen ninety eight. Um, I sold my business in um, 2000. The church started in the showroom of mine and Pam's cabinet business. And, um, and the Lord was prospering us. The Lord was prospering us. We had um, dad's help. We had went to Nashville. We negotiated a contract with Sears. My dad could give Donald Trump a run for his money on negotiating, I'm just telling you. He told me all the way up there, son, we got plenty of business. You don't, 
you don't have to have this. And he said, and he told me, he said, you need to settle in your heart, whatever you, you know, the least you'll take and then add some to it. And then he said, and you need to be willing to drive home with me today without a deal because they're, they're, they're not going to want to do it for what you say you'll do it for. And I, he, yes, sir, yes, sir. Listen to, again, trust in my dad. So they, just, they laughed at us when we told them what we would. They wanted us to do. They were handling all the sales and financing. They wanted uh, Winslet Kitchen and Bath to go measure the jobs, fabricate the jobs, and install the jobs. What, what would I do it for? And we gave them a big number. <clears throat> and they laughed at us and they said, we just won't do business in Alabama at all if we had to pay you that. I said, well, thank you for your time. I felt, I said, I hope they can't see my legs trembling, right? <laughs> thank you for your time. Me and my daddy went and got back in the car and drove back to Birmingham. Was it three days later, Dad, they called. They said, we've done some restructuring, and uh, we decided because we know the quality of your work, we'd rather pay you extra than kiss a bunch of frogs in Alabama to see if anybody works out for us. Right? So all this work that we had put in, now we've got this business. The last four years we were in cabinet business, we did 250 houses. That's a lot of business if, you're not, if you ain't doing the math. Okay, five a week. And so <clears throat> I'm not committed, though, to what I'm put on this earth to do. I'm not committed to what I was put in my mama's womb to do. It wasn't build cabinets. It was preach the gospel, right? And Lord's really dealing with me about it, Bryce. I mean, he is really dealing with me about it, right? And so here was my plan, right? <clears throat> I'm going to pastor the church and never receive a salary from the church, and I'm going to keep doing cabinets. Why is that? Because I remember not too many years ago when I had given up a wonderful career, uh, what I'd studied in school for, um, took about a half a cut in pay to go be full-time at a church as their youth pastor. Um, again, all in. I'm committed. It's what I'm called to do. I mean, I could have had a chick, I could have my own Chick-fil-A restaurant. I, well, uh, I'm committed. This is what God's called me to do, right? And so <clears throat> I got hurt and all that, right? And so now the church is growing, the cabinet business is growing. I would get to the, to the because they're in the same building, by the way. So I'd get to the office to work on cabinets, and people would come because they didn't see it as a cabinet shop. That was where they went to church. They needed a pastor. And then a man comes along and wants to buy my business, a godsend, and I chickened out. Why? I'm afraid, to tr I'm afraid to commit to this ministry gig, right? So I'm in my mind, I'm trying to be the hero. Paul, Paul made tents. I'm saying, oh, Bill's cabinets, bless God. You know what I'm saying? But at some point, right, we had to say, no. no. But I had an option. So I had it sold. I backed out. <clears throat> and um, the Lord asked me, I know some people don't believe this. He asked me, I said, Lord, I'm just not comfortable with this. And he asked me, he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to keep it, Lord. I want to keep the business. He said, well, keep it then. Keep it. Right? But then just tooled along and the church is growing, cabinet business is growing. And I said, Lord, I, I don't, I, 
maybe I need to call that man back because it's too late on that man. He, he bought a trim business instead of a cabinet business. So he brought me another buyer. And, of course, I sold at that time. But I didn't have, you see, you understand what I'm saying? It's, I'm not trying to tell you this to pat myself on the back, man. I know what it's like to stand there with your legs knocking and, and all those other things. But, but, see, until I'm willing to make that commitment and trust. And if you look back on your life, there's all these milestones. There's all these opportunities. I'm way out of time. The tension between commitment and trust led to the creation of something called a prenuptial agreement. Anybody ever heard of that? How about this? Have you ever been given a job or a promotion with a 90-day probationary period? What is that? That's somebody who wants to trust you but wants to build in an opportunity to back out just in case it doesn't go as they hoped it would. Let me, I know, can you, can, we've got just a few minutes. I know we're still doing communion. I would normally, with communion Sunday, I'd shut it down right here. Let me, let me just give you this, and then we'll pray. Is that okay? Amen? Um, you see, far too many want God to keep what they have not committed to Him. We're reluctant to commit for the same reason we're reluctant to trust. We're afraid of what will happen if we do. We're reluctant, I'm at slide 33, Christy. We're reluctant to commit because commitments limit our options and restrict our freedom. Now, listen carefully to the following explanation. Many people ask God for help and call themselves trusting Him to help them. Notice, it's one thing to actually trust God. It's another thing to think that you are. God helping you and God doing it for you are two different things. There's a typo there. It should say it for you instead of if for you. Okay. God helping you and God doing it for you are two different things. Many of the people who ask God for help are really just wanting God to fix and change things in their life while they rest on the couch. If I was to call you and say, hey, listen... Uh, you know, Pam and I, we bought an, another house, and, uh, and I need some help moving. Anybody here, you know, on Saturday, be there at 8 o'clock, help me move, okay? And so some of you showed up to help me move. If you showed up at 8 o'clock to help me move, and then Pam and I got in the truck and went shopping, I wasn't asking you to help me. I was asking you to do it for me. There's a difference, Right? Committing a problem to the Lord without ever committing your works or ways to the Lord will never produce a lasting solution. Maybe you're listening to me now and need, need, need God's help in your finances. So you decide, according to 1 Peter 5 and 7, you're going to commit your financial situation to the Lord and cast the care of it over on Him. This is a great move, but only covers one side of what it means to commit in trust, make a deposit of trust, something to the Lord. The other side of committing and the, the other side of the committing and entrusting coin calls for fully dedicating, obligating, or devoting oneself to a course of action.
This is where a lot of people are confused. What it boils down to is trying to trust God to fix a problem that our current course of action is creating. And we wonder why nothing ever changes. See, we've, we've preached it around here. Pastor Rick does one of the best jobs of preaching this of anybody I've ever heard preach it. Cast all your care on the Lord. But it, it doesn't begin there, does it, Pastor Rick? It begins with submit yourselves to one another. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He gives grace to the humble. He resists the prideful. Right? Then he says, cast your care over on the Lord, for he cares for you. So a lot of people just like to take that out of context, like, man, I'm so troubled about my, my children. I'm so troubled about my job. I'm, I'm so troubled about my financial situation. I'm so troubled about my marriage. I'm going to cast the care of it over on the Lord. I'm going to trust God with my marriage. I'm going to trust God with my children. I'm going to trust God with my money. Okay? And I'm, that's a great move. I'm not saying that you, should, that you should not do that. But if you don't commit yourself, trust God with the course of action concerning your marriage, your children, your finances, right? What's really going to change? Because it's the current course of action that's creating the problem. So we just want to roll it over on God. God, I need your help here. I need your help here. While I keep doing what I've always done, the way I've always done it, I need you to fix this problem for me while I'm over here doing it, what I want to do the way I want to. It doesn't work. But what it does create is a lot of people get very aggravated with God. God let me down. God didn't come through for me. This or that. Listen to me, please. The problem is not in his commitment to us. The Bible says he's faithful to us even when we're not faithful to him. It comes back to our commitment to him. Praise God. All right, communion time. Stand with me. Praise God. Sweet Jesus. Thank you, Father. Are you getting anything out of this? I, man, I'm mm, so sweet. Jesus, help us, Father. Help us, Lord. Help us, help us, help us. We say it so much, Lord, but, but Father, we're not, when we say help us, we're not saying, Lord, come and do it for us while we keep doing whatever we want to do our own way, our own thing, Lord. We're saying help us. Show us what we need to do. Show us, Father, what needs to change. Lord, Commit our, our works to you and our thoughts to be established. Lord, help us make a commitment to doing something different that will literally change the established thought patterns in our lives, Lord. I thank you, Father, this morning for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. That, that you offer restoration. You offer to us real change, Lord. Father, what, what you've laid out before us is eternal, Lord, it, it, it's, it's beyond comprehension. Lord, we have to have the Holy Spirit even to begin to comprehend the good things that have been given to us. Father, not only is commitment a missing link, Father, it's a weak link. It's one that the enemy uses fear to exploit. And, and Lord, we try to justify not committing because we want to keep our options open and we want to uh, keep our, our freedoms uh, open to do what we want to do when we want to do it. Can't have both, Lord. Can't have both. But Father, I, I stand before... Matter of fact, look, look, at, look at me for just a moment. Amen. I'm going to stop praying and talk to you one more time. Okay, I st- I'm, I'm standing before you this morning. All of those different crossroads and junctures the Lord took me back through, and I just shared a couple of them. I could, there's a bunch of them, okay? 
Every one of them that he took me, took me back through it was one simple question at each point and juncture, boom, almost like a movie replaying in my mind, right? Every time he brought me back to them, there were some that I should have done and I didn't make the commitment. I chickened out. I don't mind telling you those if you had time to do it, okay? I'm not just trying to act like I always got it right, okay? There were times that I certainly missed God, okay? But he took me back to each one of those points and junctures, reminded me of how I felt, how afraid I was, how reluctant I was to commit, how I drug my feet, but finally committed. Then he asked me one simple question, do you regret it? Do you regret it? No. No, I do not regret it. As a matter of fact, I'm so thankful. I am so thankful for that Saturday night in our little den there in Hueytown. Pam put the kids to bed and she walked back in the room and she said, ooh, what's that look on your face? I said, baby, I don't want to live anymore if I can't preach. I don't want to live anymore if I can't preach. She said, what are we going to do about it? I said, we're clearing out the showroom first Sunday in June, 1998. I said, if nobody comes but you and the kids, it's fine. Do I regret it? No. But looking back on it now, I can't, I, I can't comprehend. I, it, for, for me, I'm like, why in the world did I ever have a problem making that commitment? But man, I had a problem with it for three years I struggled with. Father, as we come before you this morning, we take these beautiful emblems that represent the broken body of our Lord and Savior and the blood that he shed for us. Father, we know that this is, Lord, what we hold in our hands. It represents the biggest commitment a human being's ever made. Father, the pressure that Jesus felt on that, that, that fateful evening in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, when everything in him was wanting to, to say no and, and run and just forget about it, when everything in him, Father, was causing his, his blood to turn to, his sweat rather to turn to blood, the pressure of knowing what was ahead of him. And yet, Father, he committed himself to see it through to the bitter end and then the glorious resurrection. And he trusted you that you would not leave his soul in hell but that you would honor your word and that you would raise him from the dead. Oh, Father, what this little portion of juice and, and this dry wafer represent. Help us, Lord, to not partake of it unworthily this morning in, a, in an unfaithful way, in an untrusting way. But Lord, that as we partake of this, this juice and this wafer, Father, that we would Lord, receive imparted into us a deeper understanding of, of, of who you are to us. Father, that, that we would know you as if we can see you, that we would know, Father, that, that not what we believe, Lord, that's important, but more important than what we believe is whom, who we believe, whom we have believed in. And we believed in Jesus, our Savior. We believed in you, his Father, who gave him to us. And we believe this morning in the precious Holy Spirit who's in this room now, empowering us, anointing us, enabling us. Father, we bless you this morning.
we glorify you this morning. And we commit ourselves. Father, forgive us for toying around with sacred things, holy things, precious things. Giving some precious antique to a toddler to to roll around with in the floor. Father, Lord, forgive us that we've treated the precious, holy, sacred things of heaven, of eternity, Lord, as, as, as trinkets, as good luck charms. Forgive us, Father, we repent. Impart into us now. Impart into us now, Father, a deeper understanding of what these emblems represent as only you can by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's peel back the top layer first there and let's release the wafer. Amen. Let's partake together now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken so that our bodies could be made whole and well this morning. Father, healing for our physical bodies It's a precious thing. It's a sacred thing. It's a holy thing. It's a priceless thing. We set our hearts and minds and affections upon the things of heaven this morning. That your kingdom may come and your will be done in our bodies on earth this morning as it is in heaven. Father, the body of Christ, it's a precious thing. It's a sacred thing. It's a holy thing. Father, we're not committed to a building or a denomination or even a pastor Our commitment to the body of Christ is our commitment to the men and women in this room, our brothers and sisters, our fellow members in the body of Christ. And ultimately, our commitment is to the one and only head of the body, the master and Lord of the church, Jesus himself. Hallelujah. Let's take the cup now. Thank you, Jesus. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Could you just lift a hand to him this morning? Father, we we worship you. We want our praise to be more than just something that that we do with our our lips and our words. But, Father, we want our our worship to to, to be something that's reflected, Lord, in, in the way that we live our lives, the commitment that we make to do what you say and to do it the way you say. Father, we want our worship to be rooted in our trust, Father, in you. Lord, that as we declare your worthiness, that we would, uh, Lord, never too far from our minds have the word trustworthy when we talk about how worthy you are. You are trustworthy, God. You are worthy of our trust. You only desire good for us. You are not only able, but you are reliable. And we deem you trustworthy this morning. And we put our trust in you. We commit our works to you and we commit our ways to you. Afresh and anew this morning. In Jesus' name. 
in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. One last thing, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you're here today. You say, Pastor Mark, I've never received Jesus as my Savior. I've never received this precious gift of salvation. Maybe everyone here has already taken that step and made that level of commitment. But perhaps you're here this morning and for whatever reason you, you never have and you'd like to do that today. Could I just see your hand? Anybody in the room? Say, Pastor Mark, that's me. Would you pray for me? Anybody? Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right, let's, let's stand together. You can be uh, dismissed this morning. Thank you uh, so much for your faithfulness, for being here. Thank you for what God is uh, uh, desiring to do in your life and you giving him opportunity uh, to do it. We talked a little bit about serving God. Let me tell you a good, good way to start serving him. That's by taking your empty package and, uh, and putting it in the garbage can there in the back. Amen. Amen. We love you. Again, thank you for being here this morning. We believe in God for good things uh, for you and your family.